1: Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
0: Hello and welcome to Dwell, a Circe Institute podcast for homeschool moms by homeschool moms. I'm Emily Hill and joining me are Karen Kern and Renee Mathis. Hey friends. Hi ladies.
1: Good afternoon.
0: Right, well, I don't know what the weather is like in your place, but I feel like every time I have to give a Colorado weather update, and I think it's 65 degrees outside and perfectly sunny today. So wherever all of y'all are in the world, if you're having a snowstorm, I'm sorry. If your weather is nicer than mine, maybe I'm a little (laughs) bit jealous. But I actually was just outside today um, talking to a group of moms, so I was in a conversation, and... um, we got to talking about education and options and homeschooling and um, in the state of Colorado, ever since COVID um, homeschooling has grown from 3.7% to, I think it's over. Um, it was eight point something percent in the fall. And I think we're up to like 10% or something like wow. that. So homeschooling has grown like exponentially. um really since 2020. I hear that's happening nationally. Somebody told me it's up to like 13% nationally, which is really crazy. But with that, you have a lot of conversations of how should I homeschool and what do I do with these kids? And maybe some of you all are new to homeschooling, maybe even since 2020. Um, Maybe some of you guys are veteran homeschoolers and have been doing this for decades, literally. But uh, we're going to share a bit of a conversation today uh, about homeschooling, like how ways to homeschool with others. So I I was telling the group of gals this morning that I think education is about 50% academic and 50% relational. And I said, well, maybe it's not even that. Maybe it's like 40, 60. Learning in community with others is a really big deal. And from the time my kids were little bitty, I really saw how important it was for them to learn in a community. But how that fleshes out, it looks different for every family. And that's actually really important that you're able to hold fast to your family culture and who you are. We've talked a little bit about that like with family stories and all that um, while still learning in communities. Um, I will say this, I'm gonna say this statement a little bit strongly and maybe it'll be controversial. I really do think moms are, going to be like the saving of the future of classical education. If you want to like delete that from this podcast, you guys can later on. Um, I And the reason I say that is because homeschool moms are very passionate about educating their kids and figuring out a solution for that. Um, and I was chatting with Karen and Renee a little bit about that. And Renee kind of jumped into that um, and talked a little bit about mom ingenuity. And I was like, oh, say that. So um, Renee, I would love to hear kind of your thoughts on why moms are so creative and passionate <laughs> about educating their kids. We
1: are, we are passionate about this. Um, I, I might take, I mean, you know, let's throw some controversy in there. You started it, Emily. So hey. Um, you know, are moms the future of classical education? I don't I don't want to exclude dads. I, I'm all in favor of, of good, strong male leadership and headship. Um and I also know that there are a lot of great classical Christian schools out there that are doing amazing things. So having said all that, um, when you're talking about moms at home, I know that the moms I know that are committed to classical education and homeschooling together are, are doing an amazing job. And, you know, that's who we're, we're here to try to encourage you, the homeschool moms. So I think one of the things that um, helps us To to push forward, even when the things get hard is just as moms in general, we like to solve problems, right? I mean, that's all about managing our homes and these people and these tasks that we have. And, And if something needs to get done, we are pretty good about finding out a way to do it. And um, like I told Emily, if, you know, if the choice is put the kids on the first yellow school bus that comes down the road or finding a way to get help with this homeschooling thing, we'll find a way to get help because (laughs) pretty much we don't want to resort to the easy way out or, you know, just um, giving up. So if you're if you're struggling right now, please don't give up. Please, you know, find us on our Facebook page or send us an email or or ask for help or say, hey, would y'all do a podcast on this topic because I really need help with this. We would love to do that because we really want to encourage you. Um, and and I know that there are great ways out there when you put your heads together to find some creative solutions for whatever's going on. So that's one of the things I always like to tell homeschool moms is that you are not superwoman, you don't have to be superwoman and you don't have to do this all by yourself. Um, which is goes back to what Emily said, it's relational and if you can find your people, your community, your tribe, whatever the latest buzzword is for all of that, um it can be a huge blessing to your family as far as being able to accomplish this big task in front of you.
2: I think women naturally, are good at um, creating community to solve their problems together. So whether that was getting together to can the gardens produce or getting together to, in the old days, quilt together or getting together at church and creating meals for people who are in need, we're good at getting together and getting things done together. And so we don't have to be Lone Rangers, as you said, and we we rare we, you know, if we're fortunate enough to have somebody in community with us, we will work together with them on something.
0: So if you're hearing this and you're like, yeah, that's what I want. I want to learn with others in community, and you really see the importance of um not only just a community for um I guess emotional community or spiritual community, but also an academic learning community. One of the things that I realized when my kids were young is that I do not know how to teach high school biology or physics or chemistry. It's really not my gifting. In fact, it's like the opposite of my gifting, but throw me into medieval literature and I'm your gal. So that's where a lot of even my own path and journey came about of what does it look like to create a very high quality academically high quality um, learning community for my kids while still having um, just a a healthy friend group and peer group. And you should have heard us like brainstorming about this because there are, there's like, there's pros and cons to um, many different options of learning and community. And we're going to jump into some of those in a bit. Um, But as we start, what are some of the options out there for homeschool learning in community? And I'd love for you guys to just throw out ideas you have of what does it look like to learn in community and what's out there right now?
2: So I'll jump in with the, the very first things you can do. You know, I I know some young families who have preschoolers, and they are figuring out how they can get together and do some things together that are enriching and fun and maybe field trips. They're trying to figure out that. And then a few years ago, my daughter-in-law, she and five of her friends got together. I think at that point, their kids were five and six, and they're all about those ages. And um, they all got together, and they did nature school once a week. And they would get together, and they would have. Um, they would bring their little nature books, and they would do this all year, once a week, outside. And then that grew to let's. So now their kids are seven and eight. We have, you know, more skills to teach them. We have more um, concepts, more, um, more, just more things to teach. Let's let's try to do that. You know, we did this play thing. Let's let's do some other things. So then now there are still these five families. And they meet together once a week and they do um, history and literature. They do composition. They do not do math because all the kids are at different levels of math, but um, they do art. They do a Shakespeare class, so they put on a play. So they do the things that they can do together and they do it really well, but it's small. It's not paid. Um, Each mom does something. And because they're such good friends and they've been doing it for a long time, it's working really well. So that's one option, which I guess we call
1: co-op. Yeah, I think Karen. When most people hear the word co-op, it, it's like what you've just described, which is we're all going to pitch in together. Everyone is going to do something in order to contribute for the good of the group. Um, generally, people, you know, like you said, share their talents and their gifts. And and you look at who who the kids are and where they're at, and this is what we could do well together, and this is what would not work. And that's a beautiful example. I. I I'm envious of your daughter-in-law and that group and all the fun things that they get to do together. It sounds wonderful.
2: It is great, but they're also now looking at, so the oldest in that group is 11, 12, maybe. And most of them are 10 and nine with some strikers, you No, know, family families and youngers. And now they're going, huh, we are going to need to to develop this into something bigger. So that's exactly. So that kind
1: of that's exactly and that's what where they are now. Yeah. Looking at
2: maybe next year, we'll have a sort of a school, maybe.
1: How? Yeah. How we do that? Well, that's what happened in Houston. When, when we were at the same stage, we had this, our support group had this wonderful little program going and it was enrichment and it was for mainly elementary. We had a really some gung-ho organized moms who put together this thing called activity day. And it was basically everything that's not the three R's and quote academic. So we had everything from craft classes to cooking to outside PE classes, a a choir and a drama and, you know, just, just little elective things that the kids could sign up for, Um, and, and then the kids got older and the moms are like, whoa, we need we need some serious help now. I mean, this was fun and it was great, but I've got, you know, a ninth grader that needs to learn Spanish and I've got a kid who needs to learn biology. We need to change direction a little bit. And so that's what we did. We started um, what we call prep classes, which I wouldn't call it a co-op because there was tuition involved. Um, so I refer to it now as a tutorial. Um, some people might call it outside classes. And it evolved into a program where homeschoolers would choose a la carte, basically, classes and take what they needed to kind of flesh out their curriculum at home. It was not a school. And we were very, very adamant that this is not a school. We are not going to be a school. We're also not going to be, you know, your homeschool support group. We're not going to have student council and clubs and enriching things. We are strictly here to offer high quality academic classes taught by qualified teachers. And so because there was, um, but there was, there was tuition involved. So parents paid for the classes and for the supplies and it was run by a small board, a small leadership team. Um, And, and it worked and it's still going and it's on two campuses in Houston with a lot of kids. And, um, and I just, it's one of my favorite models as far as a way to um, help the homeschool mom who knows that she can't teach everything herself and, and, is willing to pay for someone else to to shoulder part of that load, although the parents are still the primary teachers. Um, it's kind of like a contract, kind of like when you contract out piano lessons or something like that. You're just contracting out Spanish lessons. So that was another way to to do to, to solve the problem, so to speak.
0: And I think if you're, just, I I feel like we're just like moving up here. It's like the co-op to like as far as um involvement of others or tuition or whatever it is. Um, and I would say the third. Uh, a third model would be your true like hybrid model, that it is closer to, it's almost like 50% homeschool and 50% school, that it does have a little bit more of a school feel to it. Um, like a university model school would be more similar to that. Um, I, honestly, the school that I'm the director of, is it's more like that. It would be considered a true hybrid in that it's most of your core classes, Um, they're hired teachers. So there is a tuition and you have your assignments and grades. Um, it was started, and this is seventh through 12th grade. It was started with older kids in mind. Um, I will throw out there that one of the, I'm not reneging on my statement at all, but I'll, I will clarify here when I say, I think homeschool moms are like the future of classical education. I'll hold to that because we are very passionate about it. And so that's why I say that strongly. Um, and yet, there is also, and that problem solving um, is a really remarkable skill that homeschool moms have, but part of that problem solving is knowing when I need to bring someone else in to hold fast to what a true classical education is, and knowing that for my, this is for my own family, I knew that I wasn't going to sit at a table and have a Socratic discussion with my 14-year-old just him and me, Um, that's not what Socratic discussion is. So I realized if I wanted to hold fast to a true classical education, that it would have to be in community. So I think that can happen absolutely in the co-op model, in the tutorial model, or in the true hybrid model. So my question would be, if someone is trying to figure out, well, I guess there's two sides, you can start something. And I'll say that you can always start something. If you're a starter, start something. But you might not be a starter. You might be like, hey, I kinda wanna jump in on something. What, between these different models, what questions would you ask to kind of figure out what you're looking for? What would you guys say?
1: That's a good question. The value of a good question is always a great place to start. I would start by looking at the homeschoolers that I, I'm, I know and meet around me in my community, you know, where I live and, and ask them, what are you doing, right? What, what do people do around here to get help with different things? Um, are there already co-ops in, in existence that I could look at and maybe join? Um, are there homeschool groups that are offering classes? Are there homeschool groups that offer activity days or enrichment days or even just sports days? I mean, sometimes that's a great way to just have that, you know, meet that need for some some fun and games and activity and get to know some other homeschool families as some kind of a PE day. So I would just start by asking everyone around you, you know, and, and try to find out what's going on in your area. You ask your friends at church, um, ask your friends at the, you know, at the park, whatever, wherever, you know, you and the other moms kind of get together, um, start there.
0: So Karen, tell me a little, you You're talking about your daughter-in-law um, starting this co-op what were like how did they decide to start it and what was their like motivation and reasoning behind it I think
2: one of it was that they were all of them were feeling a little isolated at home and because uh they were friends they got to know each other at church um and and at my book club the or C book club that I host so that's where some of them got to know each other also um so there you go right if you find it you, you you belong to something, and in that thing, or you're new to town, and you can find a community at church, or you can find a book club, or whatever. Whatever, you find like-minded people, and they thought we're all a little bit isolated. We've never done this before. Our kids, our kids want to get together with your kids. You know, it's like, and so it became very organic. It was just let's let's all go to the park. Okay, what do we do at the park? Well, we could play, but the older kids, no, let's let's let them play for a while. Let's bring our lunch and let's let's incorporate nature day. And so it all happened very organically and naturally. And then from there, I think it was them each looking at their needs and figuring out these are my needs. Is there a way that we can meet this together? Like can, can so one of them, one of these young women is very into history and politics and and a study that well in college and loves that and somebody else loves art and somebody else loves science and astronomy and did it did you know and so they they just took what they loved and offered it to each other and filled in the holes and it was very
0: organic i guess
1: Yeah, and I think it's it's important to know, like, what is important to you and your family before you start looking for resources to help fill in the holes, right? You have to know what the holes are. Um, Are you you looking for an academic help with a certain subject or certain class? Are you looking for social opportunities and, and friendship opportunities? Are you looking for something that will help you as a mom meet other moms just to grow your own friend group? Um, that can be important. So all of those are questions that you want to ask, you know, what is the purpose of this particular co-op that I'm looking at or this hybrid school? Um, what is it designed to do? And is it is what it's offering a good match for what our needs are? Um, because people have different homeschooling philosophies and different emphases, And if it's not something that is important to your family, you'll probably get pretty frustrated pretty quickly with where the co-op's going just because it's just not a good fit. Um and so that's another question. you know what what kinds of families are is this co-op looking to attract? Um, and and are you a good fit for that? Most good co-ops, um, and I will say this as someone who's talked to to people who've had trouble with co-ops, most good co-ops have good leadership. So you want to ask what kind of leadership does this co-op have? Who makes decisions? Um, what is there an appeal process? how how do we how do we make our needs known as members of the the co-op or the tutorial? Um, that's always a good question. Um, what is what is the relationship like between the co-op and the surrounding community? Um, does this co-op meet in a church? Is it part of a neighborhood group? Is it does it just rent a church facility, perhaps? But you know, you don't just you don't just exist in and of yourself. You are actually part of a geographical location, and that's going to make a difference. You know, to to what you're like and what you do. Do um, so you want to ask those questions? Um, what is expected of the members? Right. Are you supposed to give your time? Are you supposed to just pay money? Is it you just drop off? Or even if you just drop off, are there certain standards and practices that are required or expected of each of each family that belongs? So do you have a dress code? Do the kids obey the dress code? And if not, what happens? So most problems tend to happen when someone, you know, signs up for something and doesn't really think it through, and then they get into it and find out, oh, this really wasn't what I bargained for. So the time for asking all those questions is definitely at the very beginning.
0: Okay. If you are listening to this and you're considering a program, go back and write those questions down <laughs> because that's really helpful. Um, I am in a leadership position at a school program, and this is absolutely true, Nay, If families come in and they and I can answer those questions for them the more easily they will be able to determine whether or not we're a good fit for them um, and vice versa. I actually always ask people who are coming in, tell me about your homeschool journey. Um, tell me about how you've homeschooled so far. Tell me programs that your other kids have been in or past programs that you've been. Um, we actually always had like an interview process to see whether or not those families would be a good fit for our program. Because if education is half academics and half relationship or whatever you know you can't put in into numbers quite like that um then that's true not only for students but that's true for you as a homeschool mom as well as soon as you step into a learning community you're doing it with other people and homeschool moms i don't know if you guys knew this have really strong opinions about how education should happen They have strong thoughts, whether it's down to like the last book on the book list. They're like, I don't like that book. I don't want that book. I want a different book. Um, So there's a lot of really strong opinions, which makes us very um, successful in many ways, but it can create a lot of conflict. So knowing yourself and knowing your family, but also knowing you're stepping into something, right? You're stepping into a community and a culture and a world so while on one hand, it's very important to know are they classical, are they, or whatever your criteria is, it could be whatever it is. Um, but also keep in mind as a homeschool mom, I'm not gonna get everything I want here. Um, and we'll we'll probably chat about that in a little bit of um keeping the peace, keeping peace in so, a learning community. So there's a difference between, you know, what we're, we're talking about.
2: Somebody who has a need and is joining something that's already established. And that's what you just addressed. You find out what they're about and whether you're a good fit. And you go and you talk to them and you ask them questions and you see what answers you get. And you decide as a parent, my child fits here or my child does not fit here. We'll go over here. But then there's also the question of starting something, which is a whole different set of questions. Right? Mm -hmm. So you know, that's probably for another discussion, maybe, maybe more next time we can talk about starting something big, like a tutorial or a hybrid, because it's, there's a lot of questions
0: and answer. There are, and it's actually really fun. Like if you are thinking about starting a, a co-op or a hybrid program or a tutorial, um like we are absolutely here for you. We would love to you know, answer questions or whatever it is, like, please do feel free to reach out to us. Um, like, there's a lot of years experience here of between us of work that's been put into that. And I think we are going to jump into that next time about, I, for my own self, well, this is what i am like. I will tell you all the mistakes I made and all the things not to do with starting. We'll um, talk about that. That'd be fun. Right. Yeah, I will. And I will, I know I am like very upfront about like, hey, here's the things not to do. Um. Because it is a very the hybrid model is very um, it's very effective for homeschool families, but it does have to be done in a um, peaceful, orderly, well led way. Otherwise, you guys—some of you guys probably know this—things can fall apart quickly in the homeschool school world. Um, So let's jump into that one. Well, maybe we'll just do that one next time. We'll talk about what is it. What does it look like to start a program, um, and some of the details on this. But if you are going to um, join a program, Karen, is there any from your own um, from your own life experience, having done um, several different programs with your kids and even like full time school? Um, what would you say your if, if you're like I want to stick with a true classical model that matters to me. I believe in that. What would you say you're looking for then? In a co-op or even a school, whatever it is, like what what would be some questions you should ask? Of like, this is keeping with classical pedagogy or ethos or philosophy.
2: Well, you would have to have some idea first on your own what classical pedagogy is and and looks like, and that that's just a big topic. <laughs> um, but you you would you would need to have some idea of what you're looking for, and um, there's lots of resources that you can you can go to, to learn the different kinds of pedagogy or ideas. You know, are you looking for a school that, or a co-op that is um, highly academic and rigorous and requires a lot of memory that requires tests on every Friday on everything that they're learning? Or are you looking for something that is more Charlotte Mason? And I don't want to get into that now about the differences, because we've talked about that before, but there are some, some significant differences and you have to decide what do I want for my child and and when I taught at a classical school we would have people sometimes join us um, who had moved from a different city or their kids had gone to a a classical school somewhere else or maybe they had been in a co-op and then they come to us and they don't like what we're doing and they say it's too hard or there's too much homework or we don't like how much memory work there is, or we don't like the uniforms. Uh, there are a myriad of things they might not like. And so um, you have to know exactly what you're getting into before, uh, as much as you can before you get into it. So visit the school and look at their uh, mission statement and look at their curriculum guide and get on the website and go and take your child and sit in on some classes. Don't, you know, just, you can go to the open house, but do more than just go to the open house because you really get more books in it. You really need to go, they you need to have your kids there for at least a day.
1: Yeah, and I would say a couple of questions I would ask are, you know, what does classical education mean to you? If you're looking at some kind of a co-op that advertises itself as classical, um, then I would ask, what what does that look like? And how do you see the word classical fleshing itself out in your program? Um, and and what is your purpose behind being a classical co-op. What are you trying to produce, basically? Um, What is your goal? And that, you know, you'll want to ask yourself, does my family also have the same goal? And if not, we're probably not a good fit. I would also ask, what are the teachers reading? What are the teachers doing to continue their own training and their own growth and enrichment as classical educators? Um, And do you have a plan for training and equipping your teachers and your parents Right? What are you doing to help parents grow in their knowledge of classical education? And you might say, "Well, that sounds very schoolish." You I mean, how would a group of five moms do this? Well, a group of five moms can read books together, right? Yeah. And group of five moms can can go to conferences together, or listen to to podcasts, or listen to lectures, or something, and and always be working to to grow themselves. So to me, that is hugely hugely important. David Hicks calls that the school within the school in his book, Norms and Nobility. What is the school doing within its own school to keep training and equipping, always moving forward? And then there's another wonderful quote. He said, you know, if the teacher doesn't want to keep learning, they have no business teaching. So there we go.
0: I had this moment when my kids were younger and I knew I was going to homeschool. I was homeschooled and homeschool my kids. But I, I, I know I had all four of them by that time. So I don't know how old they were. I don't know, probably from like three to eight or something like that. I had this realization that homeschooling was my job. Like, this is my job. Like, I am a teacher. I'm not just like a mom who stays home and just like once in a while, you know, does something with their kids. So I think when I had that thought, I began to take my own education and teaching a little bit more seriously in that I would get together with friends then, and you know, let's read norms together or, you know, when children love to learn or something. So we would read education books. Like I literally am my child's teacher teaching them. So yes, if you are in a co-op and it's just a true co-op, there's just a few families and you're doing it together, like absolutely be learning and growing and realizing this is my, this is my continuing education or like teacher development or whatever they call it. And conventional education. Um, so that's a really great point, Renee to what are the what are the teachers reading? and if you're a teacher, what are you reading? Um, so any last any last words of encouragement or thoughts of if you are going to jump in on a co-op or community learning um, before we any anyway, words from the wise?
1: Oh on those days so that it feels like you're drowning, you are not alone. <laughs> Just reach out and ask for help, um, whether it's your husband or pray or call a friend or, you know, do something that um, sometimes it can feel very lonely to be a homeschool mom, but we want to assure you that you are not, you're not alone out there.
2: And there are so many resources out there and some people, they're, they're looking ahead too far. You know, they have a five-year-old and they're worried about what am I going to do when my kid is doing algebra? Don't worry about that. Know, prepare and be reading and be talking, but don't worry. Just do what needs to be done today.
1: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more.